You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. All right, so we're talking about relationships in this series. You know, we're living in the information age. We can Google anything. Uh, We can Google anything we want about relationships and get a thousand different articles on dating, romance, love, sex, marriage, parenting, whatever. And yet our world seems more relationally broken than ever before. I mean, we're living in the age of cancel culture. We've got people just canceling each other out. We're, we're, you know, the divorce rates are on, on the rise. We've got this, you know, epidemic of loneliness right now as we're experiencing this global pandemic. There is no lack of information when it comes to relationships. But how many of you know we need something more than information? We need transformation. Come on, we need biblical truth to guide us. We need a new approach to relationships. And here's the good news. Jesus shows us the way. Jesus shows us the way. Let me show you our key verse for this series. It comes from John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. Let me set this up for you. Uh, this is actually on the night of the Last Supper. Jesus is about to go to the cross, and soon after that, he's going to resurrect and ascend back to the Father. So he's getting his disciples prepared. Like everything he's saying right now is extra important. And here's what Jesus says to his disciples, John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. He says this, a new command I give you. Love one another. Now, that's actually not the new part. That command had been around for thousands of years. Here's the new part. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Think about the way Jesus loved his disciples. Did he call the brightest and the best and the most perfect people to follow him? Nope. He loved them as they were, right? In fact, that very night, he showed them what love looked like. He got down and he washed the disciples' feet. Not too long after this, Jesus would go to the cross and give his life for his disciples, give his life for the world. He would show them what real love looks like, self-sacrificial love. Look at verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have really amazing church services. Now, if you have an amazing worship team that can just blow it out every Sunday. If you have a really good-looking and handsome pastor, come on, somebody. No, no. He says, by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you read it out loud with me. Love one another. Okay, so according to Jesus, there's a lot at stake here when it comes to relationships and loving each other in the church. If we get relationships right in the church, it's one of the most powerful witnesses to the truth of the gospel. That's what Jesus is saying. Like if if people come among you and they see how much you you love each other, like that is going to be a witness. And I, I believe for many of you, you felt that in our church. I believe there are many people here, you came in and you felt the love and the warmth here. This is a big deal. If we get this right, our love for each other is a powerful relationship. In fact, if you read the New Testament, let's say you read the writings of the Apostle Paul. He doesn't say very much about, hey, if you Christians want to change the world, go out and love the world. No, most of it is about, hey, if you want to change the world, figure out how to love each other first and maybe the world might believe you. So if we get this right, it's powerful. But the opposite is also true. When we get this wrong, The world won't be convinced that we're genuine followers of Jesus. The world won't be convinced that we have something worth following. They won't be buying what we're selling. So we got to get this right, church. Come on, love relationships in the church. We got to get this right in the church first. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks 
talking about relationships, how to live out this command, how to love each other better, how to get the gospel into our relationships. We're going to talk about uh, being single. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about parenting. But today, I want to start by talking to you about friendships. We all want to have healthy, life-giving friendships, don't we? How many of you want to have more life-giving friendships in your life? You want less drama, less life-sucking friendships in your life? Yeah, I think most of our hands are up. We want life-giving relationships. And this really means something to me because, you know, our friends here in Westchester are our family. I mean, our church family is our family. Uh, both Amy and I, we, we left the cities that we're from. Our, our, our families are far away from here. And so this is a big deal to us. And the essence of a, of a church family is to actually have spiritual friendships. And that's why we want to get you plugged into a life group because every one of us, we weren't meant to do this by ourselves. We need good, God-honoring friendships because friendships, when they go right, are such a blessing in our lives, aren't they? When they go right, they're, they're such a blessing. Let me show you a few scriptures. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9 says this, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. How many of you have that one friend who just gives really great advice? Don't you, love, don't you love friends like that? Psalm 133, verse 1 says this, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Come on, when we live together in unity, it's good and it's pleasant. How many of you know that's true? Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Aren't you thankful for friends who become like family, who are like brothers and sisters, who, who can love you when you most need it? When, when friendships go right in our lives, it's truly a blessing. But we all know the opposite is also true. When friendships go wrong, it's such a pain in our lives. Come on, how many of you have experienced the, the heartache of, of a broken friendship? I think many of us have experienced that. We, we know that heartache. I mean, to be misunderstood by someone, to maybe have your intentions misunderstood, it, it's so hurtful to know that maybe you messed up or you hurt someone. Um, it brings such pain to our lives. And so we want to have God-honoring friendships. We want to recognize as followers of Jesus that our, our friendships aren't just about honoring the other person, but as we honor the friends that God gives us, we're actually honoring him. And so that's what we want to talk about today. And I want to give you three challenges to God-honoring friendships. Come on, we're going to attack these three challenges that most of us face. We're going to attack them with the power of the gospel today. And I really believe we're going to see some breakthrough in our relationships. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready, Pastor. I want you to take some notes today, okay, because this is going to help you out. And then we're going to talk about this in life groups. So pay close attention so you can be ready for life group this week. Here's the first thing. Three challenges to God-honoring friendships. Number one, unhealthy and unmet expectations. Unhealthy and unmet expectations. Everybody say expectations. Come on, we all have them, don't we? We experience unhealthy and unmet expectations quite often as a challenge in our friendships. Now, when it comes to expectations, we have a way of holding others to a standard um, that we don't want to be held to ourselves. Can we just be honest for a moment? Come on, we tend to hold other people to a certain standard and judge them by that standard that we don't want to be held to ourselves. It's just something natural we do as human beings. For example, uh, if you're my friend, I want you to be constantly available for me. Like when I text you, I expect you to be ready to text me back. And when I texted you, I know you got the message because it says red. And I saw that you started to text me back because I saw the bubbles. There were bubbles. And you didn't finish texting. You ghosted me. There were bubbles. <laughs> 
But if I'm really busy and you text me and I can't get back to you right away, I want you to understand that I just need a break and I need to unplug. I was unplugged. I needed to rest. Come on, church. We hold people to a certain standard that we don't want to be held to ourselves. It's human nature. We put all kinds of unrealistic expectations on other people. Have you ever noticed how quickly we can hold something against someone, something they did or something they said or something they didn't do, or say one time after like years of friendship, how easy it is for us to hold one thing against somebody. Isn't this true? We do this. People do this to me as a pastor. I'm not saying we're perfect. We're not perfect. But by and large, we're pretty consistent. Like we love people. We pray for people. We try to encourage people. We try to do our best. But every now and then, we're human beings and we forget or we don't respond quick enough or we don't live up to people's perfect expectations. And it's like, I'm out of here. I'm leaving the church. It's like, what? Wait, 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 wait. What about all the years that we loved you and prayed for you? Come on, guys, this is what we do to each other. We, we have unrealistic expectations. Here's another thing when it comes to expectations. We expect more from others than they can possibly give to us. Can we be real? We have a tendency to expect more from others than they can possibly give to us. This is why you need more than one friend, because <laughs> there's no one friend who can scratch every itch you have. This is why I can't tell you how many friends you need, because it all you know, depends on your personality and your temperament, but you need more than one friend, that's for sure. I've discovered this in my, in my own marriage, you know, in the, in the relationship I'm supposed to lean on the most. It dawned on me a couple years ago that I expect more from Amy than she can possibly give to me. I want her to be my friend, my lover, my childcare, my cook. I want her to take a day off and go spend the day in the city with me whenever I want to, just to hang out with me. And it dawned on me that, like, I have unrealistic expectations sometimes, and there are some things that I need. I need to go have some friends and hang out with them and give her a break every now and then. There are some things I can only rely on her for, but we can tend to, to expect more from others than they can possibly give to us. Another challenge that we face when it comes to experiences is that we often fail to communicate expectations. Has this ever happened to anybody today in this place? You guys are a little quiet on me. Anybody ever had uncommunicated expectations in a relationship? So we're not on the, on the same page um, with the other person about what we want out of the relationship. I mean, this happens all the time when, let's say in a friendship, one person's hoping it's going in a romantic direction and the other person's not hoping it goes in a romantic direction. We got like two different destinations in mind, right? <laughs> and eventually one person, you know, eventually they, they find out we're not on the same page here. Come on, guys, we're the guys that we've all been put in the friend zone before, you know? You don't want to be in the friend zone. But you get I just want to be friends. I was hoping for something more. This happens in relationships all the time. And, and this happens just in, in general, not just in romantic situations. But, um, for example, have you ever had somebody who was looking for, like, a best friend, but you were just hoping for a casual acquaintance? Like, yeah, it was so good to hang out with you. Like, maybe we'll hang out every now and then. And they're, like, blowing up your phone. Like, let's be best friends. You're like, that's not exactly what I had in mind, you know? <laughs> they're, like, sucking the life out of you. The author and journalist Neil Strauss said this, unspoken expectations are premeditated resentments. Think about that. When we don't communicate our expectations, they often lead to, to resentments. Now, I'm not saying that you have to write a letter to somebody every time you become friends with them and explain everything that you want in detail out of the relationship. But here's what I am saying. If you're experiencing some resentment in a relationship, maybe, maybe subtly, maybe you haven't even been conscious of it, there's a little bit of resentment there. Maybe it's because you didn't communicate to that person what you want out of the relationship. 
And so you have some unspoken expectations. So what do we do? What do we do? We have to get the gospel into our relationships. Come on, we have to get the gospel into our, into our friendships. Here's the idea. We overcome unhealthy and unmet expectations with unconditional love. That's what we do. We get the love of the Father. We get the love of Jesus into our friendships. Let's look at our key verse again, John 13, 34. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. What kind of love was Jesus talking about? Well, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, so this is agape love. This is the love of God the Father. This is unconditional love. This is self-sacrificial love. Think about this. How did Jesus love you? Did he put conditions on it? Aren't you thankful that he didn't put conditions on it? Aren't you thankful that he loved you as you are? In fact, the scripture says, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Come on, he loved us when we were out sinning and not even thinking of him. He took the conditions off of his love for us, and that's what we have to do. We have to begin to love people without conditions. How many of you know that our natural tendency as flawed human beings is to love people with conditions? Am I the only one in this place? I'll love you if you love me. I'll treat you good if you treat me good. I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back. I'll be a good friend to you as long as you're a good friend to me. I'll be loyal to you as long as you're loyal to me. If you break your half of the deal, this thing is over. This is like every day. This is what, like, this is what people do to each other every day. Aren't you thankful Jesus didn't do that to you? He took the conditions off. And so we have to take the conditions off of loving the friends that God ha has given us. And so we've, we, we've got to give people permission to be imperfect. Just like you and me, we're imperfect. How many of you need grace in relationships? We've got to extend grace to other people. Do you see it? The more we recognize the love of God for us, the more we recognize the friend that Jesus has been to us, the better we can have healthy expectations. Now, there are some things you should expect in a friendship. There are healthy expectations but come on, let's be honest. Let's, let's, let's be real that sometimes we expect more from others than they can possibly give to us. Sometimes we hold people to a certain standard that we don't want to be held to ourselves. Sometimes we don't communicate our expectations and they're unfulfilled. And we've got to get the gospel into our friendships and begin to love people with unconditional love and watch the difference that it makes in your friendships. Is this helping anybody? Here's the second thing. I know I'm preaching to myself. Number two, we're talking about some challenges that we have to push through if we're going to have God-honoring relationships, relationships that don't just honor the other person but actually honor God. Look at this. Uh, number two is lack of self-awareness. Everybody say self-awareness. So before Jesus began his public ministry, he went to the Jordan River to be baptized by, by John the Baptist. And I've actually been baptized in the Jordan River, so I can totally picture this. It's cold, and there's a lot of ankle biter fish in there. I'm just saying. <laughs> Jesus went to the Jordan River to be baptized, and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and the heavens opened. And look at what Matthew chapter 3, verse 17 tells us. He had this amazing affirmation of his identity by God the Father. Here's what it says, Matthew 3, 17. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. What a word of affirmation. The father spoke this word over Jesus, the, the, the son. He said, this is my son whom, whom I, I love. Like Jesus knew he was loved, and in him I am well pleased. What a beautiful affirmation of Jesus' identity. Get this. Before Jesus went out to minister to people, to preach and heal people, before Jesus went out and attempted to relate to people, he knew exactly who he was in the eyes of God the father. He knew himself. Jesus had complete self-awareness. 
Okay, one of the problems that we face in trying to relate to others is that we lack self-awareness. John Calvin, the great theologian and reformer, said this, nearly all the wisdom which we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Somebody needs to snap a picture of that and go back and meditate on that quote. Nearly all the knowledge that we possess can be boiled down to do two things. This is one of the greatest theologians of all times. He said, our knowledge of God in our knowledge of ourselves, okay? I'm going to read a statement to you, and then I want you to repeat this after me in a moment. I am the common denominator in every relationship I have. <laughs> Let me say that again. Repeat it after me. I am the common denominator of every relationship I am in. Okay, you got it? There is one person who is always involved in every friendship that you find yourself in. Do you know who that person is? That person's you. <laughs> well, hopefully Jesus, but yeah, that person's you. Point to yourself. Point to yourself. It's always you. So wise is the person who knows themselves and has self-awareness. All right, Simeon said, well, what is self-awareness? Well, let me tell you the definition because I Googled it. It's the ability to see yourself clearly based on reflections and introspection. It means you do the homework of your own soul. It means that you've studied yourself and you're aware you've done some reflection and some introspection. You've looked on the inside of yourself. It means knowing your strengths and your weaknesses and your tendencies and your feelings and your desires and your temperament. That's self-awareness. Now, self-awareness comes a little bit more natural the older you get, okay? So for those of you, I won't call you older, for those of you who are more experienced in the room, you have an advantage because you've lived more life and you've had more opportunities to kind of know yourself and your personality and your temperament, okay? But here's the point. You can be intentional about growing in your self-awareness. How many of you know you can be old and still not be self-aware and stumbling all over yourself? We all know someone like that. And you can be young and still very intentional about learning yourself and understanding yourself better. For example, some things that may help you out, no matter what stage of life you're in, or some of the wonderful personality tests and profiles that are out there. I'm a big believer in these because I really think they help us know ourselves. So things like the Enneagram, if you've never done that, you can write this list down and Google it. The Enneagram, the DISC profile. In fact, we do the DISC personality profile in Growth Track session two. So a little advertisement for Growth Track. If you've never come before, you need to come because we take one of those sessions, it's called uh, Discover Your Place, and we actually help you better understand your wiring, how God has made you. So you can learn how to serve better, okay? And so these, these personality tools are really helpful. Um, the DISC profile is a really good one. The Myers-Briggs is, a, is another good one. There's a free version of it, 16personalities.com, 16personalities.com. You can do the Myers-Briggs. Last year, we did a series on temperament called I Said This, You Heard That. How many of you remember that series? That was like one of the most wildly popular series we've ever done in our church because we had all of these like light bulb moments, you know? People were sitting in service and like nudging each other like, oh my gosh, that's why I do what I do. That's why you do what you do, right? Because we begin to understand our temperaments. You can go on our website. If you weren't here for that series, you can go back and, and find those messages from, from last year. But we talked about the four classic Greek temperaments, the choleric and the sanguine and the melancholic and, and the phlegmatic. And can I just say that understanding the temperaments, it's been such a game changer for me and Amy. I mean, that series wasn't just preaching material. That was so good for us. It's helped us relate to each other. I mean, we're going on 20 years of marriage this year, and we're still learning. I'm still taking notes on the job. And, and that whole temperament thing, it just helped us, and it's helped our staff relate to each other better because Amy and I, were wired really different. 
Uh, if you remember, there was the color coding too, which really helped us all remember our, our personality profiles. So Amy's a blue. Uh, she's a melancholic, which means she's a lot more sensitive to, to me than me. And uh, she, she doesn't like to argue. Like for her, arguing is always bad. She didn't grow up in a house like that. It was peace and harmony, man. Everybody got along. I grew up in a house full of reds, like cholerics, like fiery leaders, like way too many leaders in my house. I'm like, let's fight this thing out. Let's burn the whole thing down. Then we'll hug and make up. And it's all good. <laughs> Can you see why our personalities clash a little bit every now and then? Like, can you see why Amy needs like years of therapy after being married to me for 20 years? And so knowing this and understanding ourselves, it's been so helpful for our our relationship. See, a common mistake that we make is that we tend to perceive differences in other people as character flaws. Stop and have an honest moment with yourself. In our friendships, in our acquaintances, we tend to perceive naturally people's differences because they're different than us. We perceive those differences as character flaws. Now, there are unhealthy sides to every temperament, okay? So they might have some character flaws. We all do. There's no perfect temperament, no perfect personality. There are weaknesses and strengths to every personality. But here's the point. Different is not necessarily wrong. Some of you, that would be a light bulb moment for you if you could get that. (laughs) Your friend's different personality, their different temperament It's not wrong, it's just different. And so the more you become aware of your personality, your temperament, your your wiring, the better you're going to be able to relate to your friends. Because some of you need to do some work on relating to yourself. You need to understand why you do the things you do, why you're motivated the way you're motivated, why why you feel so free to share your opinion or you keep your opinion to yourself, like why you have certain tendencies. The better you understand yourself, the better you're going to be able to relate to other people who aren't always wrong, they're just different from you. Here's another thing. The more self-aware you become, the more you'll begin to recognize your weaknesses. Come on, how many of you know we all have them? And so this isn't about discovering your weaknesses and and beating yourself up. No, the the point is that we allow God to redeem our weaknesses and the flaws of our personality so we can love others better. Here's the beautiful thing. We can experience exactly what Jesus experienced. Some of us need to get really real, like deep down on the inside with how we're wired and some of our motivations, some of our feelings. Like, for example, some of you are angry and you haven't even stopped to figure out why you're angry. And you might want to pull on the string of that anger and find out what's on the other end of it. That's really digging down and doing a little bit of homework on what's going on inside of your heart and your soul. You need to figure out your temperaments. You need to do a little work on your family of origin and think about the upbringing and, and where, where, you, where you come from. And that's going to free you to have healthier relationships. And even as you, dis, as you discern weaknesses, then you can bring those things to God the Father and allow him to heal you so he can speak a word over you and say, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. I love you with the good, the bad, the ugly. I've seen all of it, and I still affirm you. Come on, Jesus didn't come to give you a a, a different personality, a different temperament. He came to redeem your personality. He came to redeem your temperament so you can live out of the strengths of who he made you to be. Can I get an amen? Somebody. It's not about you being different. It's not about him totally changing you. It's about him redeeming your heart. And the more you can relate to yourself, the better you know yourself, the better you're able to relate to other people. Here's the third thing. We're talking about some challenges that we all have to work through. We want to have God-honoring friendships. Anybody with me? We want to have God-honoring friendships, friendships that, that don't just honor the people in our lives, but friendships that actually honor God. Here's the third thing I think we all deal with, and that is undealt with offenses. Come on, everybody say offenses. Undealt with offenses. If you attempt to become friends with anybody long enough, at some point in time, you will experience some kind of hurt, 
some kind of disappointment, some kind of offense. How many of you have lived on this planet long enough to know that, that if you attempt to be friends with an imperfect human being, and how many of you know we only have imperfect human beings here on this planet, at some point in time, if you stay at it long enough, you will be disappointed or hurt. You will experience offense. That's not being jaded. That's just being realistic, isn't it? We're going to experience this. Let me help you out further, okay? The number one thing that the enemy of your soul will do to try to knock you off track is get you offended at church. I've said this before, and you need to know it's true. It, it, it's so true. And I know some of you are new to this church, and you'd say, Pastor me, what do you mean? I walk in here, and the greeters are so friendly before I even get in the building. People are smiling at me, holding the door open. They took my kids in the kids' ministry. I got free child care for an hour when I'm here. You guys gave me coffee. The worship team is so good. The messages are uplifting. You named the church redemption. What do you mean that somebody's going to offend me? Oh, just hang in there. Hang in there, Lana. This is not my first rodeo. I've been in church my whole life. I'm born and raised in this thing. I've been at ministry for, for a few years. Hang in there. At some point in time, somebody will offend you. You will join a life group, and it'll be wonderful, but you'll find out, you'll discover, surprise, surprise, that somebody has different political opinions than you, and you thought yours was just your, your perspective of the world was just perfect. It will happen. At some point in time, it will happen, okay? And the enemy wants to use that to knock you off track. I'm telling you, I'm preaching this for a minute. I'm starting to realize that one of the hallmarks of spiritual maturity is pushing through a fence. It's a lid for so many people. And here's the crazy thing. There's so many people hearing me say this right now, and you think this is for someone else. You got to get this for you. I'm telling you, the number one thing the enemy will do to knock you out of this church and rob you of everything that God has done in your life is get you offended at somebody. Because it'll happen at some point in time because the church of Jesus Christ is made up of imperfect people. If you join this church and you're new to this church and you're a little bit nervous because you're like, Pastor Jeremy, you don't know my story. I'm not perfect. I've got some failures. I've got some sins. Listen, you are in the right place because there are no perfect people here. We named the church Redemption for a reason. I've been pastoring these people for years. Trust me, they're all messed up. I'm just telling you. <laughs> they're all jacked up. I've been praying for them for years, including me. But at some point in time, you're going to get offended. If you want to push, push past, if you can push past it, that's where you'll really grow spiritually. Somebody's going to write that down and pray on that, and it's going to really, really help you. So if we could learn to deal with offenses in a healthy way, our friendships would be so much deeper and so much healthier and so much more long-lasting. How many of you know that when you get to the other side of an offense in a friendship, your relationship is that much deeper and there's that much more trust? How many of you know that? When, when you go to someone and you're able to share your heart where you're disappointed, where you get hurt, and you talk it out, and you affirm each other, and there's forgiveness, and there's love, how many of you know the relationship doesn't get weaker? It actually gets stronger. And so many people don't experience long-lasting, deep, healthy relationships like that because they never push past the offense. And so they only keep surface-level relationships. So here's one of the problems with offense. And we did a whole series on this a few years ago, but I want to just give you one thought today. Here's one of the problems with offense. We work offense from the wrong angle. We tend to try to fix offenses from the wrong angle. What does that mean? All right, let me give you an illustration. How many of you have ever tried to work on something? Um, maybe you like to work on cars and you had to get up under the car, right, and try to get on the, the right angle to fix something. Or let me give you an easy one that most of us can relate to. You ever try to, to, screw, a, to screw in a, a loose screw on a piece of furniture, you know, and you, you realize you can't get to the right angle to get it, so you have to get like a ratchet with an extension and get the right angle, right? 
You can't fix it from the angle that you're trying to fix it on. So you have to get the right tool or you have to slide up under there. You got to do something so you can get on on the right angle to fix it. Here's the problem. We want to fix our relationships from the wrong angle. We try to fix offenses from the wrong angle. Here's what happens in friendships and relationships. Someone hurts us. Uh, Someone doesn't live up to our expectations of what a friend should be. Someone neglects us. Come on, somebody forgets your birthday. It was on Facebook. Didn't you see it? Facebook reminded you that it's my birthday. By the way, for all of you in January that I didn't wish happy birthday on Facebook, I was unplugged from social media for 21 days of prayer and fasting. I love you. We're good. There's nothing wrong. Okay? Everything's cool. All right? I still love you. But this is the kind of thing we do, right? Like somebody says something or doesn't say something or forgets about us or leaves us out, and inevitably inevitably we get offended. And then we naturally do something really interesting in response. We get offended, but we want them to fix it. We want them to fix it. And so we carry it around, and we're thinking about it, and usually it's getting worse as we're thinking about it, and we want them to fix it. And then we do something else really interesting. We want them to fix it, but we don't want to tell them about it. So we want them to read our minds. Like we expect them to know. Like they should know. They should come to me. They should read my mind. They should know exactly that I'm like what's going on in my heart, how I'm looping over it. Come on, guys. This is what we do. Isn't this naturally what we do? Am I preaching to any real human beings in here today who are like me? This is what we do. We want to fix it from the wrong angle. Can I just help you? You do not fix an offense by rehearsing it in your mind and filling in all the blanks and assigning all the motives to what you thought that person was trying to do and telling yourself how bad of a person that person is and waiting for them to come to you to fix it. That is a recipe for losing a friendship. And that is what we do all of the time quite naturally. Isn't it amazing when somebody does something and then we start trying to assign their motives to it? That's what we really do. And we succumb to something that psychologists call the fundamental attribution error. You should Google that sometime. The fundamental attribution error means that we tend to assign uh, a flaw to someone's character, something that we would want them to understand in our half is just an action that's external from us. In other words, when, when I mess up and disappoint you, I want you to give me the benefit of the doubt. Oh, no, I didn't mean it that way. Oh, I know I said that, but I didn't mean it that way. Oh, come on, give me the benefit of the doubt. We've been friends for years, girlfriend, right? Come on, we do this. But when they mess up, it's because they're a bad person and they're not a good friend. And we assign, it's the fundamental attribution error. We assign something to their character and we start giving all the motives in our mind. And guess what? Then we sit down and we talk to them and we find out that's not what they meant at all. They didn't mean it that way at all. And they expect you to understand just like you would expect them to understand on your behalf. This is what we do. So you don't fix an offense by rehearsing it, nursing it in your head, and replaying it over and over again so that it gets bigger and worse. You fix it by working on your heart first. You fix it by bringing your heart before Father God and allowing him to pour his grace and his forgiveness and his agape, unconditional love into your heart. Let me show you some scriptures. Paul said this, Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on who? You live at peace with everyone. We want to make it. They should come to me. It's on them. They did this. No, no, no. Paul says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This means if you're a Christian, it lands on you. You go take your heart before God, and you go make it right with this person. In fact, here's what Jesus says about offense in Matthew 18, 15. If another believer, this is especially between believers, okay? Remember, we got to get it right in the church first. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense, not go tell everybody else and post about it on social media. 
Go to that person to go to them, right? If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Jesus says, go to your brother. Go to your sister as far as it depends on you. Come on, aren't you thankful that when we offended God by our sin that he came straight to us? He didn't gossip to everybody else. He didn't hold it against us. But while we were yet sinners, Christ gave his life for us. He came to us. Do you see it? Do you see it? And so if you, if you want your friendships to grow more deeper and to be longer lasting, we've we, we got to learn to push through, through this offense uh, uh, thing. Maybe there's somebody you need to go to. Maybe there's somebody you, you need to forgive. Maybe you need to allow God to do some work in your heart, okay? Now, let me help you. Let God work on your heart first before you go try to fix it, okay? <laughs> if you go to them and you're still angry and bitter, it might not work out so well. Don't come to me next week and be like, Pastor, I went straight to that person and tried to fix it, and we got in a fight at Starbucks. They kicked us out. They called the cops on us. That was some really good advice. <laughs> Don't do that, okay? Don't get arrested. No, I want you to bring your heart before God. Let God begin to work on your heart. God, I release this offense to you. God, I release what this person did to me. God, I choose to believe like the best about that person. God, I choose to put them in your hands. Let him do the work in your heart. And then as far as it depends on you, you can go and make things right. Now, let me say this. There are some people that you need to love from a distance. There are some toxic people, okay? Jesus said you got to love everybody. He didn't say you have to be best friends with everybody. There are some people who are chronic abusers and manipulators, and you got to forgive them and love them from a distance. But here's the point. As far as it depends on you, we're going to make things right with people. Because I'll tell you what we do way too often is we want it to be on them, and we lose friendships. If somebody would get this today... this will break a lid that's been holding you back from growing spiritually because you cannot grow spiritually without spiritual friendships in your life. You cannot, this is, this is not an individual sport. You cannot do this without other believers in, in your, in your life. And so let's look at our key verse again, John 13, 34. Jesus said this, a new command I give you, love one another. Read this out loud with me. As I have loved you, so you must love one another as I have loved you. Now, here's what's interesting. A few chapters later, in chapter 15, Jesus turns to his disciples. He says, I have called you friends. Talking about friendship today. He turns to his disciples and he says, I, I have called you friends. Not just my disciples. I'm not just your mentor. I'm not just your, your, your rabbi. But we're, we're friends. We, we have a, a brotherhood be- between us. Now, think about who he was talking to for a moment. He was talking to Peter, who would soon deny him during his greatest time of need. He was talking to people like like Matthew, Levi, who was a tax collector, which was one of the worst professions, one of the most unhonorable professions of the time. He was talking to Thomas, doubting Thomas, who wouldn't even believe until he could touch Jesus with his own hand after the resurrection. He was talking to Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. Jesus looks at this group of imperfect people, and he says, I have called you friends. Now get this for a moment and make this personal. What kind of friend has Jesus been to you? Think about it. He loved you when you were unlovable. He thought about you all those times you forgot about him. He loved you past your brokenness, past your faults, past your sins, past your annoying personality, temperament quirks. Come on, he loved you as you are. While you were yet a sinner, Christ gave his life for you. How do we get health in our relationships? How do we get healing in our relationships? How do we have God-honoring relationships? We take that kind of love, we let it get poured so deeply into our hearts that it overflows, and we take the conditions off of our relationships. Come on, we begin to love people. We begin to give people permission to be imperfect human beings just like us because we want grace, we want forgiving, 
healing. We want understanding. And that's what Jesus did for us. And so you bring healing to your relationships. You overcome the challenges of, of friendships with imperfect people, because that's the only kind of friends we have, by becoming the kind of friend to others that Jesus has been to you, that Jesus has been to us. And so we're going to pray into that today. Come on, if you want that, would you stand with me? We're going to pray into that. We're going to invite God to do a work in our hearts today. Come on, just stand with me all over this place. Just bow your head. Just bow your head. Let's have open hearts before the Lord. In just a moment, we're going to receive communion, but let's just take a moment to pray together. And this is our prayer. Jesus, help us to be the kind of friend to others that you've been to us. Come on, you're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You're a friend who loved us unconditionally. Jesus, that's our prayer today. Lord, we want to be the kind of friend that you were to us. We want to love others the way you, you loved us. And so, Lord, today we open our hearts to receive your love afresh. God, we recognize that the greater our revelation is of your love for us, the more capacity we'll have to love other people. So we open our hearts to receive your love and your grace and your mercy afresh. God, we ask you to set us free from unhealthy expectations, God to recognize that we expect more from other human beings than they can possibly give to us. God, things that we can only really get from you. And we hold people to a higher standard than we want to be held to. But Jesus, you didn't do that to us. Lord, today I pray that you would help us with our self-awareness. That, Lord, we would just get really open and honest about every part of us on the inside, our wiring, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And God, we thank you that you love us as we are and you redeem our personalities so that we can be the best version of ourselves that you've called us to be. And Lord, today we release our offenses. Well, maybe somebody, there's a name on your heart, on your mind that you need to say it under your breath. God, we release that hurt. We release that offense. Jesus, even as you released us, when we least deserved it, God, we release it back to you. Heal our broken hearts. And we put that person in your hands. As far as it depends on us, God, we're going to live at peace with everyone. Father, do it in your people. Come on, make that personal. Jesus, do it in my heart. Somebody pray that with me. Jesus, do it in my heart. Do it in my heart. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.